0: Y'all. My goodness, it's good to be all y'all here. Is plural, right? It is. Yeah. Because y'all is you by yourself. All y'all is is the plural. Just so you know. A little lesson. Says the native Arizonan. What do I know? Adiós or no? Hola, no. What is the what is the greeting when you say hola? Hola. Oh, I wanted to say Aloha and I'm I'm all over the map. I'm an international kind of girl. So, How's it going, ladies? I am glad to hear it. I hear murmurs of good and maybe even a little applause, so that's sweet. Uh, We are going to go into Ruth chapter 2 today, but before we get there, of course, we need to pull a little thread from last week's study. I want to go back in this narrative of chapter 1 to verse 19, it's Isn't difficult for me, because I'm the former mean girl, it isn't difficult for me to uh, imagine that the ladies of Bethlehem were unkind to Naomi. I don't want to cast aspersions on these women necessarily, but I don't know if y'all have ever hung out with a group of women or little girls even. I just think, sadly, it's kind of an innate part of our twisted nature to be mean especially to each other. I don't know what that is, but I do know that God has gloriously forgiven and corrected me. And uh, when I meet people now that I went to high school with, my first words out of my mouth are, please forgive me. Because I don't know if I hurt your feelings or not. I was just mean to everybody all the time. And it's it's a burden, but yet it is a freedom in Christ But it just grieves my heart daily to think there may still be people out there that I have wounded with the poison of my tongue. And uh, I don't know if that's you today, but I would love to tell you, repent, (laughs) repent and and be forgiven and stop it right now. Um, So what I see here, though, is that all the city in verse 19, we read that all the city was stirred it literally means that the town of Bethlehem was moved to distraction. They made a great noise. It was an uproar. These people were discomfited by the sudden appearance of Naomi. And I, again, I just think the women, what did she do to her hair? You know, she looks old. She's ancient. She's filthy. And why would she bring that filthy Moabitus into our town. Who does she think she is? These are the kind of things that I think I would have been saying had I been in the crowd. And again, I just say, I am so grateful for the grace and the forgiveness of God who has corrected me over the years and is teaching me still day by day how to love as I have been loved. Um, We read in verse 18 of chapter 1 that Ruth, it says, When she, Naomi, saw that she, Ruth, was determined to go with her, she said no more. That she was determined to go phrase is one word in the Hebrew. It's the Hebrew word amates, and it means to be strong, alert, courageous, brave, bold, solid. This was Ruth's attitude at the very beginning of their journey. She is amates a woman whose character is a mate. And I believe that she demonstrated that determination with a gentle, respectful, quiet countenance. It's a pattern of behavior that I am determined to emulate. It's an ongoing process, but I want to be that kind of character who is strong and bold and brave for the cause of Christ and to be alert to the voice of my father when he speaks to me. And that kind of character is going to endear her to the whole town of Bethlehem by our story's end. Now, enter the hero. Chapter 2, verse 1. It says, Now Naomi had a kinsman of her husband, a man of great wealth of the family of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. What's interesting to me about just the storytelling quality of this is that this is just a glimpse of him, almost like if you were in a shooting uh, a script for a movie, you would just suddenly cut to this man walking down the dusty road, but that's all you get, just this quick glimpse of him because now our attention is going to go immediately back to the ladies, Naomi and to Ruth. So we'll read to, through chapter three and then come back and make some comments. Starting again in verse one. Now Naomi had a kinsman of her husband, a man of great wealth of the family of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth, the Moabitess, said to Naomi, please let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after one in whose sight I may find favor. And she said to her, go, my daughter. So she departed and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she happened to come to the portion of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the family of Elimelech. We are going to see that the law of the leveret marriage is going to begin to come into play. But we're also introduced here to another Hebrew practice. It's called the law of gleaning. For your notes, it's in Leviticus chapter 19 verses 9 and 10, also in Leviticus chapter 23, verse 22, and in Deuteronomy 24, 18 through 22. In the Gospels, we read that the Lord and his disciples took advantage of the law of gleaning. They were walking through the grain fields one day, and they began to pluck off the heads of grain. And when you do that, the wheat and the chaff are all together. So you have to rub the grains, the grain between your fingers. And then the chaff is loose, and, and then you just eat the grain. So they're walking through, eating the grain. And of course, this infuriates the Pharisees because it's the Sabbath day. And they interpreted those actions as harvesting or working on the Sabbath. The truth is, the fact of the matter in this story is that they were hungry. The the one who owns the cattle on a thousand hills walked the shores of the Galilee and the hillsides of Judea in humble poverty. They were hungry and they ate. Now, this is how the law of gleaning worked. In his infinite wisdom, the Lord provided food for the poor in the land of Israel. If anyone lacks, there is a remedy as long as that individual, he or she, is willing to work. During harvest time, the landowner was required to make allowances for the poor, the widow, the orphan, the sojourner in the land. And what he would do is... Uh, have his harvesters go through his vineyard or uh, field, whatever the produce was that you were growing, an orchard, a vineyard, the crop of grain, whatever it was, they could only go through one time, the harvesters, whatever was left behind was for the poor. If they happened to drop anything on the ground while they were working and gleaning, it was left on the ground for the poor. They also were not permitted to harvest the corners of a field. Anything in the corner, that was also left for the poor. And all of these were intended to be a constant reminder to the Hebrews that they were once foreigners in Egypt, and they sojourned through the wilderness wandering. And it was to remind them to be kinder. Than they had been treated themselves when they were in the situation of being the foreigner and the traveler in the land. If you were hungry and you were willing to work, there is a remedy in Israel because our God is the God of provision and remedy. And when he prompted Moses to write down all of these laws, he was looking down the pages of time and he saw Ruth coming to the field of Boaz. He was writing these laws to bless her. In fact, he saw her before the foundation of the world, and that's exactly the same time he saw you. And he is the God of promise and provision and remedy for you today. He is favorably disposed to you, and he is just looking for opportunities to bless you in ways you don't even recognize often. Ruth and Naomi, because they're near homeless women, Now, there's probably a house that they lived in, but it's been 10 years vacant. And so whatever they built it out of, 10 years, you know, if you leave a house alone for a year, y'all know it starts to decay. So 10 years, the house has been vacant. A lot of the homes I saw when I was in Israel were made of mud and sticks. That doesn't endure for long without constant repair and maintenance. So we don't know the state of the home that they're in, if there is even a dwelling left. And so here they are, near homeless, we'll call it. They are dependent on the kindness of the workers in the field and the landowners for their daily bread, as well as the strength of their own backs. How many of you have a really strong back? Look at your, look, okay, now turn around and look at each other, because there's not one hand up. Oh, one. I see that one hand. You get to go and do all the gleaning for us, because I'll tell you what. I spilled, I grind my own wheat in a machine that I have, and the other day I had my three-year-old granddaughter helping me pour the wheat berries into the hopper thing, and I don't know what she was doing, but whoosh, and I thought, there it all is, took me, and I thought, there's a cup of wheat on the floor, and it's not cheap, so I'm picking every Blessed grain up. And it wasn't long before I was like this on the ground. Can you, I hope the camera, whatever. And so I'm like this on my knees going around the kitchen floor, 20 minutes. It took me to get every single grain that I could find. And I'm saying, Fiona, come help grandma. No, no, she's whatever. Okay, three years old. 20 minutes, I think there was less than a quarter of a cup. 20 minutes for me to be on my hands and knees and I got less than a quarter of a cup. That's a mouthful. And you are, when you're gleaning like this, you're not allowed to take what you glean to market. You are not allowed to also take enough to jumpstart your own farm. You're not permitted to benefit your own finances at another's expense. You are there to glean your daily bread, so a handful. If Ruth is going into the field, I want you to remember that she is a Moabite, in the time of the judges, when every man does what is right in his own eyes, and a lot can happen to a despised foreigner in the tall corn. And Boaz is going to make a point of this. I'm not, I'm not embellishing Boaz's concern for her purity and her safety. Um, she is hardworking. She's diligent. She's uncomplaining, y'all. That stabs me right there. She is a servant-hearted, despised foreigner. The Strong's Concordance says that the word that's used for foreigner or stranger is also used of an adulterous woman or a harlot. They were not looked upon with great favor. Uh, One of the rabbis, though, that I was reading, he wrote in the early 1800s, roughly. He says, How righteous is Ruth, the daughter of the king of Moab. Now I don't know which king that might be or what the source for that was. You can ask Ruth when you get to heaven. Are you really royalty? But listen, if she was, even if she wasn't, the daughter of the king of Moab gleans like a common pauper to spare her mother-in-law the indignity of doing it herself in front of those who had known her as a rich woman. So out she goes into the field and you can only imagine what kind of a reception a Moabite would have received in Israel in that remote time. I mean, in the remote field in that time. But God, always insert the but God exclamation mark in these situations. He is omnipresent. He is omnipotent. He is the Lord of the harvest, and he has his watchful eye on roof. Both the apostles, John and Paul, remind us of the power and the all-knowing aspect of God's character. They call him our only sovereign, king of kings and lord of lords. The Lord, our God, the almighty, the omnipotent reigns. Just meditate on that when you get into a, a straight place, because from eternity past, to eternity, future, and every moment in between. Our God is the only sovereign, all powerful, all loving father who has never allowed any of his children to slip through his fingers. So, as Ruth sets out to take advantage of the law of gleaning, she finds favor, the New Testament would call it grace, in the sight of our story's hero. The Bible, very humorously, I hope you all have met with God's sense of humor. Some days I sit alone with him and we just laugh. (laughs) One time, totally unrelated to the study, I'm walking through Costco by myself, and I'm talking to the Lord, as I always do. I didn't realize I was talking out loud. And so I'm walking down, you know, it was kind of quiet that day, and I turned a corner and I don't know what, I can't remember what it was, but the Lord and I are having a good laugh. And I went, oh, I'm just talking to God, because there was a woman standing there. (laughs) Anyway. He just makes me laugh. Anyway, it's so humorous that he tells us that she happened to walk into the field of Boaz. Doesn't that crack you up? This is where I like to insert Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. Lord, I don't understand what in the world you're up to. I don't get it. I don't know what's happening. So what? Trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding. Acknowledge him in all your ways, and he will make your paths straight, straight into the field of Boaz. Have you all ever been on the receiving end of one of God's happened tos? I love it. There are no accidents in our sovereign God's kingdom. There's an old rabbinic saying, coincidence is not a kosher word. He rules and he reigns over all of his creation with a watchful eye. Keep your place here in Ruth, but turn to Psalm 33. When I read verses 18 through 22, I think it is describing Ruth's very recent history. As she sets out to glean, to me, this is a description of this dear woman of the character of Amats. Psalm 33, verses 18 through 22. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope for his loving kindness to deliver their soul from death and to keep them alive in famine. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield, for our heart rejoices in him because we trust in his holy name. Let your loving kindness, O Lord, be upon us, according as we have hoped in you. Why would the Lord be watching so intently? It says right at the top, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him. Why is he watching you so? Closely, I think part of the answer is in 2 Chronicles, for your notes, 2 Chronicles 16, 9. It says, for the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth. Why? Why is he looking all over the earth? That he may strongly support those whose heart is completely his. That he may strongly support those whose heart is completely his. His, the same God that shepherded Israel through the wilderness, his visible presence in the midst of their camp, a pillar of cloud by day and fire by night, that same God is now shepherding this despised Moabitess from the rigors of the law into the wonders of grace. And she just happened to find Boaz's field. Ruth is completely his, and he is strongly supporting her in all her efforts. That is right where I want to live and move and have my being. I want to be the kind of person whose heart is completely his. And no matter what circumstance, good or bad, I will see his hand strongly supporting me through everything. As the Lord of the harvest here, Boaz is required to fill the letter of the law, but in the time of the judges, how many people are obeying the law? He quickly goes, we are going to see this is amazing. He quickly goes beyond the letter of the law to uh, bless Ruth abundantly. Why such deference? Well, it's because her reputation has preceded her and because he's a really, really good guy and he's a near kinsman of the family of Elimelech. So the plot thickens. Now, before we go on, I want to review what the um, Hebrew word goel means. I talked about this a couple of weeks ago. It is translated kinsman redeemer, sometimes just redeemer. So the Hebrew goel was to perform several offices. He was expected, it was the honorable thing to do as a family member, should he accept the responsibility. Uppermost, he had to be a near kinsman, a blood relative, and he had to be willing and able. Now, there were three principal jobs that the goel was meant to perform. The first is becoming the husband of the near relative's childless widow. That's the law of the Leveret marriage, and we've covered that. We will review it again as we go. Also, becoming the redeemer of either property or persons, or both, because not only might you have to lease out, sell your land, you may have to do the same to your person. If things are bad, and you have to sell yourself into slavery, it is this Goel's responsibility to redeem you, to buy you back, as well as your land. So those are the first two. And the third thing is to become the avenger of blood. So we already talked about the lever at marriage and the redemption of property is going to be covered again in another chapter of Ruth. So we're going to hold off on that till we get to chapter four. Uh, but remember, he must be willing and able. You may have a kinsman in the time of the judges when there are frequent wars and skirmishes and wickednesses of all kinds and famines. You may have a willing relative, but he's not able. He's just as destitute as you are. So you must have both things come together. If you had a relative in this time with deep pockets, it would be almost miraculous. But the last office of the Goel, we are gonna talk about at the very last day of our Ruth study, but I want you just to have a fuzzy idea of what it is right now. Ruth's Goel will not be required to perform the Avenger of Blood office, but he had to still be willing and have the ability to perform it if it became necessary. The role of the avenger of blood is a sacred duty. It's covered for your notes in Numbers 35 and Deuteronomy 19 and Joshua 20. And in chapter 21, you read of the cities of refuge, which is part of the avenger of blood story. So what this law requires is that the near-relative revenge the murder of a family member. And a clear line of distinction was drawn between accidental and deliberate murder. But in either case, the murderer was to flee to a city of refuge. And there were six of them, three on each side of the Jordan. The murderer was to plead his case to the city elders and Two witnesses were required. If they determine that the murder was accidental, the accused is permitted to live within the city of refuge forever. But now if you are guilty of committing murder, you you just do not pass go, you do not collect $200, you go. If you have time to go home and say goodbye to your family, that's a uh, gift. So now you have relocated to a new city if they permit you to stay. There's only one way that that murderer can go free from the city of refuge, and that is when the high priest dies. It's an interesting study. We're not going to take the time to do it, but you plug Jesus right into the middle of that story. He is our city of refuge. He is the avenger of blood, and he's the high priest who died. Now you're free to move about the country. It's an amazing thing, but we're going to go on here because if you are living in the city of refuge under the protection of the city fathers, don't ever let it happen to you. (laughs) If that's your scenario and you step one foot out of the, of the confines of the city, you can be avenged or the, the murder can be avenged. So you have to stay in the city of refuge. You are locked in there. Now, if the city fathers, you plead your case, and the city fathers say, no, that was deliberate, premeditated murder, you are immediately handed to the Goel, and he slays you right now. He, it is the law of the land. So we're going to revisit it, as I say, when we get to the final part of our story, because you are going to see the Lord Jesus Christ stand up as your Goel in our final study. But here we read in verse 2 that... Uh, Boaz is a man of great wealth. Just like Ruth's uh, descriptor, she was determined to go, is a one Hebrew word. This is a two-Hebrew word phrase, the great man of wealth. It is a gibor chayil. And I will tell you more about that here. But I want to just put this in your head. It's interesting to me that Boaz didn't feel compelled to leave during the famine. In fact, if you hold a position of authority or resources in your community, when hard times hit, you are required to stay and help those less fortunate. Elimelech left. Boaz stayed. And I think it's because he sought first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then all these other things were going to be added to him. How do I know that he sought first the kingdom of God? That was his first and foremost thing. It's because of this phrase, a man of great wealth. It means a mighty man of valor, strong, brave, upright, a valiant champion. You can't be a champion, y'all, unless you're challenged. That means he acquitted himself well on the battlefield. He is a valiant champion, one who is efficient and wealthy with excellent mental qualities. All of that is held in those two Hebrew words, Gebelor chayel, Totally swoon worthy. If you're single, this is the guy you want to marry. All right? Boaz, whose name means strength, is a contemporary of Naomi. Remember, he's a near relative of Elimelech. Some of the rabbis say that he is roughly 80 years old and Ruth is roughly 40. Again, you can ask her when you meet her because I don't know. But... It does mean that Boaz needed to be a near kinsman, so cousin, brother, uncle. We don't know exactly what the relation is, but we have to remember that in the times that these people live, the male population is greatly diminished due to all the wars that are being fought in the time of the judges. I have no doubt that if called upon to do so, Boaz was on the front lines of battle and that he acquitted himself with honor and distinction, a mighty, mighty, man of wealth, all that that implies. He is uh, listed in a genealogy in First Chronicles that says he is a descendant of Hezron. He is probably the, one of the chiefs of the Hezronite clan in Bethlehem. And it's into his field that Ruth happens to find herself. He is admired and respected by the locals because he, we know it, because he greets them with a blessing and they return it. Isn't that a sweet thing? Labor relations are excellent. Every employee would love to be greeted by their employer. God bless you. Hey, the Lord bless you too. Wouldn't that be a beautiful way to start your day? Now, one of the uh, Hebrew rabbis wrote that in this time, violence, stealing, and absence of charity and kindness became rife Among the people. Neither did they listen to the judges. Now, this rabbi says that Boaz became a judge. He enacted, as part of his judging responsibility, that people greet each other with God's name in order to fix their hearts that God is in heaven and sees everything. He purposed in his heart to bring the name of God forth when he met these workers, male and female servants that he had, and they responded in kind. Because don't you find that when you're out in the world and you hear blasphemies, 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 and they take the name of the Lord and they do horrible things to it, that it would be a refreshing thing to be able to respond back in some beautiful way? I have done that sometimes in public. When I hear somebody saying whatever, I'll say, God bless you. I'm glad you're calling on the name of the Lord. And then they're like, I don't do it often, but I do it every once in a while. Anyway, another rabbi says of Boaz, he taught, uh, he was what he taught. Kindness, concern for others, softness, and care in speech, sensitivity, and focus on each individual. So as he's focusing on each individual, he sees an unfamiliar face. Verses 4 and 5. It says, now behold. When you see the word behold like that, the Holy Spirit is telling you, pay attention to this. Look. Look closely at it. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said to the reapers, may the Lord be with you. And they said to him, may the Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his servant who was in charge of the reapers, Uh, Whose young woman is this? So an unnamed servant gives an account of Ruth, leaving no doubt as to her origin. She is a Moabitess from Moab. Just in case we are going to miss the point, someone in this narrative is always reminding us that this girl comes from the toilet bowl, that she is from beyond the pale. Boaz is going to use that information to his advantage later in the story. Verses 6 and 7. The servant in charge of the reapers replied, she is the young Moabite woman who returned with Naomi from the land of Moab. And she said, please let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. Thus she came and has remained from the morning until now. She has been sitting in the house for a little while. Now gleaning and winnowing y'all is grueling work. It's back breaking. We are told that Naomi and Ruth arrived in the beginning of the barley harvest. And as I mentioned before, that's roughly uh, time of the Passover, so springtime. And their climate is very like ours. So springtime, harvesting grain out in the field, it's going to be really hot. And we know how important it is to stay hydrated. So she's got to schlep her own water. And I assume that, um, that the people who are taking advantage of the law of gleaning, if they're going to be there for the day, they need to bring a day's supply of water. The corners, of course, are also available to them. But I always imagine that if you are one of the poor people in the land and no one has touched the corners at all, that's going to be the first place you go. And I don't know that a despised Moabitess would be welcome there, even among the poor. So she is going to go through the field and pick up whatever falls on the ground, whatever is left behind. By way of introduction, Boaz's servant explains this of Ruth while she arrived early. So she is on it. Number two, she asked permission to glean in the field. That, to me, displays respectful humility. And she's working diligently all morning long. Oh, well, she took only a short break. And, of course, this is where Boaz finds her. When Amatz meets a Gibor Chayil, oh, exciting things can happen. A new life begins. And I'm going to let you in on a little inside information. What we're seeing here is you. This is a picture of you and your savior. This is you and your Boaz. We have a better than Boaz, y'all. You may not feel strong or alert or courageous, but all things are possible in Christ. He is the mighty man of wealth, and he is very favorably disposed to you. So our lovely heroine's reputation as a woman of excellence is growing. Boaz is eager to show his appreciation for all the kindness that Ruth has shown to his kinswoman, Naomi. Verses 8 and 9, then Boaz said to Ruth, listen carefully, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field. Furthermore, do not go on from this one, but stay here with my maids. Let your eyes be on the field which they reap and go after them. Indeed, I have commanded the servants not to touch you. When you are thirsty, go to the water jars and drink from what the servants draw. Now, y'all, the law required Boaz allow the poor to glean. But how many people obey the law? Again, I ask it in this day. He goes so far beyond the requirements of the law to pour out blessings on this young woman. He offers her very particular considerations. Number one, as long as the harvest lasts, she is welcome to return to his fields. I don't know, but perhaps a person who is taking advantage of the law of gleaning is considered a nuisance if they show up every day. Maybe it's looked upon as presumptuous. Taking advantage of a particular landowner? I don't know, but he, we know it's something because he makes a point to say, come back every day. Uh, then he invites Ruth to stay here with my maids, he says. Being a mighty man of wealth, he's got a considerable staff, both male and female, and he is wise enough to know that they are going to best serve and be served if there's no fraternizing with the opposite sex. You need to hold on to that thought. It will come back when Ruth goes home now and explains everything to Naomi. Boaz gives Ruth his permission to follow closely after his female servants. Um, I don't know. Again, maybe the poor were uh, required to wait outside the field until the harvesters had made that first pass. So if they're standing out there just waiting for their turn to go, what he's trying to do is protect her from unwanted attention that might be lingering on the borders of the field waiting to get in there. And he lets her know that he has commanded the servants. That's a masculine word. He says, I have commanded the men servants not to touch you. Again, her physical safety, her purity are in jeopardy during this time when every man is doing what is right in his own eyes. We have to keep that perspective constantly as we go through the book. And Boaz is savvy. He knows enough to understand human behavior and know, he knows a command is warranted. He is a mighty man of wealth. He is listened to, he is respected, and he's obeyed. He knows that she is vulnerable outside his protection, but that she has it. You have my protection. And then the final consideration is a very practical one. He takes, makes the task of gleaning infinitely easier by providing water for Ruth to drink. Again, if you have to haul your own water, y'all, it's eight pounds a gallon. That's a lot of extra work added to the already getting on your hands and knees to glean. All of these abundant blessings Ruth receives from the Lord of the harvest. And we, y'all, are no different today. We are under the protection of almighty God, the only sovereign king of kings and Lord of lords. That's a comforting thought as you see what's going on in the world today. His watchful eye is on you every day, all day. Uh, Pastor Chuck Smith tells the story of walking down the beach once with a little grandson. And a little guy says, Grandpa. Does God see everything I do? And he wisely answered, he loves you so much, he can't take his eyes off you. And that is true of all of us. Ruth and Naomi are still in dire straits, but God is on the move with good intentions for them. If you are in a position where you maybe have made a decision to return to the land of promise and things are hard, you need to know that that is not a sign of God's displeasure. Be at peace about that. Difficult circumstances are not a sign of God's displeasure. He is refining us and making us more Christ-like day by day. Ruth is going to glean in Boaz fields for both the barley and the wheat harvest. That's months of day in, day out, picking grains up off the ground. But the whole time he's doing it, her character shines and Boaz is falling in love. Isn't that sweet? Y'all, Boaz in this story and God in your story, they're not half done. But we are done for today. So (laughs) let's pray. Father, we bless your name. And Lord Jesus, we rejoice in the sure knowledge that you are on the move on our behalf. We believe that your watchful eye is always upon us and that you are all powerful and loving and generous and kind. Thank you so much for being our refuge, our strength, our peace, our goel. We want to be women who gladly come under your protection, women who don't uh, look elsewhere for favor and grace, but who glean our daily bread from you. You are the Lord of the harvest. In Jesus' matchless, powerful name we pray. And the beautiful bride of Christ said, now go and sin no more.